You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Waiting is an inevitable part of life. It doesn't matter if you're waiting for your coffee order, waiting for the pair of shoes you really want to come back in stock, waiting for test results, or waiting on help while making a big decision. Waiting is tough. When you're waiting, you might feel excited, but you might feel skeptical too, especially when what you've been promised gets delayed. You start to wonder when you've waited long enough. Eventually, you might even give up hope. Sometimes people of faith have to wait on God. While we wait on God, we need to remember that God has a plan. God is faithful. God is listening. And we should never give up hope because God's not given up on us. How many of you like to play Jenga? How many of you would say that you're pretty good at Jenga? Alden Maxwell, he's 12 years old, stacked 693 blocks on one single vertical block, which is a world record. And the only reason why he stopped at 693 blocks is because he didn't have any more blocks left in the house. It took him 13 Jenga sets, Three tries in an hour and five minutes to make history. The amount of patience and skill and concentration is incredible. What you might not know is he actually did this once before, but to be in the Genesis World Record book, it must be recorded. And when he did this, the camera failed, which must have been really, really frustrating. Now, I can relate. Recently, I had recorded three sermons and thought they had went pretty well, later to find out that uh, they had actually messed up, and I had to re-record all three of them. And so I could relate to how frustrating Alden must have been. Today, we're going to talk about what happens when things don't go your way. What happens when all the blocks fall down? What happens when the video doesn't record? What happens when you're waitlisted? In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison in the city of Philippi. Their crime is that they casted out an evil spirit from a slave girl in the name of Jesus Christ, which cost the owner some money. And because of this, she could no longer function as a fortune teller. Paul and Silas are arrested. They're beaten They're put in prison without a trial. They're not only put in prison, but the inner prison, basically a dungeon. Their feet uh, are chained in. There's no chance to escape. In Acts chapter 16, verse uh, 25, it says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. 
Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all of the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors were wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here. Paul and Silas had had a vision to bring the gospel to Macedonia. They had already seen Lydia come to know Christ, had already seen the gospel spreading, had seen God cast out this evil spirit out of a slave girl, and suddenly they're waitlisted. It seemed like they were doing the right thing, but now they're in prison, just waiting. They're beaten, they're put in prison. This wasn't part of the plan. But notice how they responded. They worship. They have a worship service in prison. They're praying and they're singing. And, and notice this, the other prisoners are listening. In their time of waiting, in their time of suffering, where their body's aching, where they're in this dark and dirty prison, instead of getting mad, instead of getting frustrated, instead of complaining, what do they do? They worship. And others are hearing them worship and seeing them worship, and it's making an impact on them. And then there's this earthquake that takes place, a, a big earthquake which was common in this area, but this was a divine earthquake. Not only did the doors open, but all of the chains of the prisoners fell off. And the, the jailer, who was responsible for everyone, sees this and he just assumes, well, if all the prison doors are open, of course the prisoners are going to escape. And, and so he's ready to take his life. Because, again, that's his responsibility to make sure that everyone stays in the prison. And Paul calls out, he says, don't kill yourself, we're all here. Then the jailer runs to Paul and Silas and says, What must I do to be saved? Evidently, he heard them worshiping. Evidently, he heard them teaching in some capacity. And he, and he goes to them and he says, What must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas says, Believe in the Lord Jesus. And, and then the jailer takes him home. He washes their wounds at his home. And Paul and Silas minister to this, ministers to this jailer's family. And this jailer and his whole family, the text says, are immediately baptized. Now let me remind you that this is after midnight. All of these events take place after midnight, so very early in the morning. They end up eating a meal together. And we see this just beautiful picture of when you're waitlisted, sometimes God, God opens up doors to minister. It's easy to minister when everything is comfortable, when everything is going your way, but it's another thing to minister when you're waitlisted. It's another thing to, to minister when the blocks are tumbling down, when things don't go your way, when God calls you to, to minister to an environment of pain and injustice and discomfort and confinement. But Paul and Silas have this opportunity to leave prison when the earthquake takes place, when the doors open, when the chains fall out. But instead, they stay in place, which is a little puzzling to me. But I think they knew, I think they knew that God didn't want them to leave. 
And, and what's even more puzzling is, why didn't the other prisoners leave? They have an opportunity to walk out of the prison, but I think the other prisoners respected Paul and Silas, and I think they led them to stay in place. Could it be how we wait impacts our witness? Is it possible that there's a purpose when we're waitlisted? Is there someone watching you that you're not even aware of? Is there someone listening to you? Is there someone that doesn't know Christ and they're watching how you handle things when you're waitlisted? Just think about the impact that you could make if you make a choice to worship instead of worrying in a season of waiting. What if we decided that we're going to worship instead of getting angry? What if we decided we're going to worship and look for opportunities to serve others while being waitlisted? A few weeks ago, I was out and about, and my middle son, Elijah, he loves chicken sandwiches. And there was this fast food restaurant that I had tried to get a chicken sandwich from before, and they were out. And so on this day, I thought I would surprise him, and I would get him a chicken sandwich. The line didn't look too long, and so I get in line. And next thing I know, I realized that this was supposed to be a fast food restaurant, but fast was not... In their, in their vocabulary, because they were very, very slow this day. And next thing you know, I'm stuck. Like, I wanted to get out of line. I mean, I love Elijah and wanted him to have a chicken sandwich, but I sure didn't want to wait 40 to 45 minutes that day for a chicken sandwich. And, and, I grew, and, and I saw myself beginning to get impatient and getting a little frustrated. But then I thought about this passage and so I turned on some worship music and I started listening to worship music. And then I picked up my phone and I called some of our shut-ins and, and talked with some of them. I, I normally have a book in my, in, in my car for occasions like this, but for some reason I didn't. Uh, and so I just kept on thinking about ways that I could minister, that I could worship, that I was not going to get angry and frustrated. Well, eventually I got the chicken sandwich I call my wife on the way home and I'm driving and I hit this stoplight and moments before someone had crashed. There was two cars that were basically totaled and one was just a few feet away from me up on the curb and I tell Julie, I got to get off the phone. I, I want to go help this person. And so I park my car and I, and I walk over to this car and there's this young man, he's in his 20s and he's shaken up of course and and uh, then I go and check on this other car that's in the middle of the road, and I call 911, and, and uh, then I go back over to the 20-year-old. And he, I, I ask him what, what I can do for him. I find his glasses that had been thrown in the back seat. And he gets his phone, and he calls his wife, and his wife, of course, is upset, and he doesn't know where he's at. And, and I explain to her, this is the location, and, and I'm going to be with him until you get here or until EMS gets here. He calls his father, and of course his father's upset, and again, I get an opportunity to say, hey, your son's, son's okay, I'm going to be here with him, and, and I just sit there with him and, and talk to him and try to minister to him. Eventually, they arrive, they thank me, and eventually EMS arrives, and, and thankfully, it seemed like both parties were, were just got away with minor injuries, a lot of soreness, a lot of bruising. But I got back in my car and was driving home. And I began to, to wonder, did God have a reason for me to have to wait a little bit longer for a chicken sandwich? Because on this day, for whatever reason, he wanted me to show up 
and minister to a 20-year-old young man. I, I don't know. Maybe it was just by accident. But I think that God often has opportunities in our path for us to minister to others. I wonder if he's doing the same for you. I wonder if he wants you to minister to someone in your time of waiting. And this month, we have the spiritual practice of focusing on rest. And one of the most spiritual things that you can do is rest. And what I found is Jesus took naps. Jesus rested. He took naps. And what I found is it's really hard for me to be patient when I'm tired when I'm tired physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And so this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to schedule and take a nap. And if your kids or your spouse or someone says something about it, you say, my preacher said schedule and take a nap this week. And so you have my permission. I want you to schedule and take a nap. And I just want you to rest. Because I found when we are rested, it's so much easier to worship when we're challenged with times of that we're tempted to be impatient. Secondly, I want you to think of what are some ways that you can worship while you wait. Already be thinking ahead of time. In those times that you're at the doctor's office, instead of getting frustrated, take some things that will help you worship. You already know that a lot of times the doctor's office says you have to wait a long time. If you're in traffic, you know that you may be waiting. So what are some things that you can do to worship? Thirdly, who is someone that you can minister to while waiting? Be looking for opportunities. See, we have the opportunity to worship instead of getting frustrated and angry when we're waitlisted. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, I am so humbled by how you handle times of waiting. And I pray that you would work in our lives, that we too could, could worship and uh, show great love and, and patience and mercy when we're waitlisted. In this time that we take communion, we just want to take this time to worship you. In your precious holy name, amen.